You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, I am Danny Anderson, Assistant Professor of English here at Mount Aloysius College in Pennsylvania, and your host for this program. Thanks to all the patrons who help make this show possible. Um, if you go to Patreon, you can uh, um, help support the show in that way. And I also want to thanks uh, give thanks to those who've taken a minute to give us a nice review over there at Apple Podcasts. I just saw a nice new four-star review from Big Blind Max, and I really appreciate it. He uh, calls the show, quote, earnest and insightful with great guests. And I think I have another great guest for you today. Um, today, we're going to be diving into a really, I think, neat intersection between pop culture and high culture and academia. So joining me today is Dr. Jason Carney of Christopher Newport University in Virginia. Jason has a a new book out from McFarland that fits really neatly into what we do here very often on this show. If you remember a while back, Carter Stepper and David Grubbs joined in for a really fun discussion about weird fiction. We read uh, uh, Robert E. Howard, we read H.P. Lovecraft, and M.R. James, I do believe, for that uh, episode. Uh, And... Well, today we're going to revisit that as we talk about Jason's book, Weird Tales of Modernity, which takes a a deep dive into Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, and H.P. Lovecraft. Jason, thanks for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. Um, I got a, uh, I guess, full disclosure. Uh, Jason and I know each other from grad school, um, and so we were, we were friends in grad school and gone our separate ways since then. But uh, when I saw he had this book coming out, I reached out to him to see if he'd like to come talk about it on the show because it, it really does fit perfectly well with what we do here. And uh, and so, Jason, I'm really happy for you to uh, uh, take the time out today to talk to us. And Jason has been very patient with my crazy schedule too. So um, more proof of that he's a he's a real mensch. And so, um, so Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your work before we begin? Sure. Uh, so, I am a lecturer at Christopher Newport University, um, and um, I teach uh, popular literature, uh, creative writing, and uh, composition. Um, this uh, um, book is uh, connected to my uh, dissertation, um, which is a uh, uh, it, my dissertation advisor, Kurt Konigsberger, um, was a modernist scholar, and um, I've always been interested in popular culture. I, I, I became an English professor because I'm a reader, and I started as, as a reader, as a, as a reader of genre, science fiction, uh, and fantasy and horror. And um, I've, uh, um, I, I'm really interested in high literature, but I've also always had this interest in kind of paraliterature. And uh, so I guess my, my work explores the, the connections between the high and the low. And um, I'm really intrigued um, by uh, writers who are um, very artistically ambitious, but they um, uh, participate in um, uh, sub-literary genres or um, traditions that aren't, 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 tr- aren't traditionally considered art. So, um, what, for example, uh, Philip, Philip K. Dick is, is, is one of my favorite writers because he's, 
he's a um, you know a literary artist, but he's 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 in this pulp science fiction tradition. But he's 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 an example. I think Lovecraft is like that as well. But yeah, um, well, and actually, I I just recently for our Halloween crossover series for the network here, I recorded a show with uh, Todd Pedler and Britt Stack about Pet Cemetery. Uh, ooh, oh, excuse me, cool. it wasn't Britt Stack. Uh, it was uh, Kristen Philippic. Britt Stack was on the Ghost episode. Sorry, um, but Todd Pedler and uh, and Kristen Philippic. And I talked about Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, and I kind of made the same case there. There's nothing not literary about what's going on in that book, right? And so I yeah. think often these genre writers get dismissed and, and kind of unfairly um, ignored by the um, kind of elite institutions of academia. And so, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, Jason and I share, I think, a similar uh, interest in this. You, I mean, what is it specifically about weird fiction? It's like different than just regular horror for you, uh, for anybody, right? And so, what is it about that that kind of you find? really interesting and, and draw. I know that you write fantasy yourself as in, in, mm -hmm. in creative writing. So maybe that's it, but why don't you tell a little bit about that? That's a good question. The, the category of weird fiction, um, it's, it's one I'm not too invested in. Um, I, I think of, uh, Lovecraft as a, uh, um, writing in the Gothic tradition, e even Robert E. Howard, I see him as writing in the Gothic tradition. Clark Ashton Smith is um, like a, a he's um, more of a, a romanticist than, than 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 a gothic writer, but um, I've, uh, I I guess I'm interested in, in in these three writers and in weird tales specifically. Um, so when people talk about weird fiction, I think a lot of times maybe we don't um, kind of recall that like a that term weird fiction I think refers to the magazine. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't know if I I, I can corroborate that, but we used the adjective weird to, you know, because of a lot of the writers who were writing in the tradition orbited the magazine Weird Tales. Um, but the magazine itself was, uh, was very sincere. Uh, if, if you look at the, the, the founding um, of, the mag of the pulp magazine, uh, it was supposed to respond to um, the artistic uh, degradation of the pulp fiction marketplace. So the guy who founded it, uh, J.C. Hindenberger, um, he... Uh, had a lot of writer uh, friends, and um, in 1923, a lot of these writers complained that all these pulp fiction magazines required a formula, and the, there were there was you know uh, not a lot of room for pulp writers to be original. And um, so when he found the Weird Tales, um, it was it was this attempt to kind of give writer uh, um, free reign to express themselves um, and and outside of formulas, and um, so I guess to, to go back, um, in as much as weird fiction is connected to weird tales, that's why I'm interested in it specifically because um, I I don't think that um, uh, maybe this is this is I'm, I'm sure there are weird fiction writers who 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 have no artistic ambition, you know, but who are just like um, you know writing to, to, to tell an interesting in, in, entertaining story. But for me, um, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert E. Howard, and uh, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft are artistically ambitious in a, in a specific way. They're sincere, so like they're they're using their work to to to, to um, probe philosophical and existential questions. Mm. I think that's that's what that's what is uh, I think interesting. They're not just trying to scare you. Maybe M.R. James is is um, you know, he's just trying to like tell a scary story and get you to you know have have your uh, uh, goosebumps. Um, but uh. You know, I, I actually think Love, Love Lovecraft um, and, and and Howard and Smith are like exploring some some serious issues in their in their work. 
Yeah. yeah, even even if they're sometimes racist, even if that's the yeah, issue that they want to do, true. right? Yeah. So, <laughs> which we'll I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Uh, we did oh, yeah. talk about um, the, the story "Pigeons from Hell," I think, is what we read from Robert E. Howard oh, in in, um, uh, in that episode. And yeah, there's definitely a not so subtle racism like underneath this drives um, that Reh there, Robert E. Howard in 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 that mm-hmm. story. So there is even if it's not always. If, even if the art that they create isn't doesn't have the highest purposes uh, for our our ears and minds, um, it's still they have an artistic statement that they're trying to make there for sure. Um, you yeah. look like you want to say something there. No, I just I uh, um I, I'm I'm still figuring this out. Uh, but you know they're writing horror. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something like like the the horrible you recoil from. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Uh, you know, to the extent that their their fiction reveals like a between the wars um, racism, yeah. like true fear of difference, right? And we moderns recoil from that. Like I actually, it, it's it's hard for me to say this because I haven't figured out a delicate way of putting it. But like a um, culturally uh, uh, myopic and um, um, you know paranoid. Uh, cloistered white guy who hates everyone who doesn't look like him. Yeah, he's actually probably a pretty good candidate to write some terrifying horror for <laughs> 2019 readers. You know, because I mean, we want to disavow the parts of us that kind of um, you know recoil from difference and um, you know want to kind of just associate with with um, you know like uh, um, I'm trying to think think of a way of putting it like we. We all have the potential to be uh, racist, you know. I, I, don't, I don't think, uh, and 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 I, when we when we read this 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 between the wars fiction, I, I I think there's something that makes it so creepy is that it's like it's 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 it's, it's the it's the creepiness of recognition, you know, of of you know. Um, anyhow, I'm, I'm I'm talking too much. I'm it, sorry. I mean, just sort of in classical horror theory i mean it's the return of the repressed on some yes. level right and so yeah um and that's gets back at freud's uncanny i mean which is sort of a core feature of a core kind of idea be- behind the academic study of horror at least and so yeah i think you're totally right um uh, i love this stuff and uh i think it's i really enjoyed your book i should have said that from uh from the from the get-go um uh this is something i mean i i Probably wouldn't have somebody on the show if I didn't like their book. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't give them. You know, I wouldn't be, bring on here to tell them that their book sucked, right? And so, uh, and this is another case. Tell me if it sucks. If it sucks, to be honest with you. But <laughs> no, no, no. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting, and I thought you you bring a really neat angle to it. Um, so let's kind of get into the into the kind of meat of the argument. You, your book makes a an argument for a a, a certain literary value. For these pulp writers, as we kind of hinted at already, can you walk us through the kind of broad contours of that argument? Yeah. Um, let me see where I should begin. Uh, so, I don't think Lovecraft. Uh, I'm just going to say, start saying the Weird Tales three. Lovecraft, Howard, and Smith. It becomes cumbersome to, to refer to them as the. The, you know the weird tales three. Yeah, you use um, that. I was going to say that for a question later, but yeah, you use that as a term to encompass them, and they are sort of the three most significant names, right, in that uh, milieu. And so you've just kind of short given them a. Uh, it's like the New York intellectuals, but for yeah, <laughs> okay. that, 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 that's my thinking right now. But there are two hundred and seventy nine issues of the, um, uh, you know, the, the first iteration of weird tales, and I 
haven't read it all. A lot of people will tell me that a lot of it's not worth reading, but I, I'm, I'm like afraid to say, oh, they're the most interesting and important because that's not, I, I can't say that for sure. Yeah. Um, but um, but that, 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 that seems to be the consensus on a lot of people who've read widely. And, and, and I have a lot of them in facsimile, but I haven't got around to reading them all. I read a significant portion of them, but um, mm-hmm. but uh, but I think what's interesting is, um, unlike uh, the modernists, uh, um, who sought to create art and kind of, and maybe even um, I don't know if they thought about literary immortality or um, the the extent to which their work would endure. Um, uh, that, that you know, they, did they did they have a sense of themselves as you know, eventually being canonized. I, I'm I'm not sure, but I know that something that really um, shaped the uh, writing of um, the Weird Tales three is they had no, you know, pretensions to being artists. Right? They they were sincere, but they but but they but they had no faith that their work would endure. So they they I think they um, this is my claim that they wrote knowing that what they were producing was ephemera. So mm-hmm. they wrote ephemera in this. Um, sincere way and I think what's interesting is that they end up thematizing ephemerality um, through this like really interesting tension of you know I, I'm, I'm 100% committed to this um, enterprise but I, but I have no faith that it's really going to matter to anyone because I'm publishing it in this fiction magazine and um, a lot of times uh, they're getting rejected because it's too literary you know and so like they they, 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 um, they, they had this uh, uh, unconventional uh, relationship towards their towards their work. Yeah. Like Love, Love Lovecraft, for example, thought that um, a, a weird fiction was um, uh, the truest form of literary art. Uh, I'm blanking on the on the quote. He actually, uh, the, um, but he thought he thought it was a, it was a true form of, of of literary art. But he was he was placing it in a in a in a rag magazine that he you know he had no 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 faith in the and the readers who were reading it. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, that is, a, I mean, so I'm thinking when you talk about modernist, like high, you know, big high culture, big C culture, yeah. uh, modernist literature. So you think of like T.S. Eliot and Virginia Woolf and, uh, and, and that sort of crew and Faulkner. And, and so you've got people who are consciously swinging for immortality they're, they're sort of swinging for the fences um and, and i think you can see that in, in Eliot's like tradition and the individual talent right you're, you're sort of putting yourself in this conversation with the the heroes of old right um the titans mm-hmm. of old um and so these folks um are doing stylistically um similar not similar work but uh as ambitious that the same kind of ambition stylistically, but without the kind of hope for immortality. So it's in some ways I'm just thinking I have a lot of religious listeners. That's a very Mm -hmm. interesting, it's like living a good, it's like being a, an existentialist and Uh living a good life, even though you don't believe in an afterlife kind of, you know what I mean? And so it's absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not a coincidence that um, Lovecraft is one of, the most famous atheist, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean, like he's—I think his um, uh, disbelief in immortality is 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 one of the the key features of his work. Um, he, he actually, uh, you know, uses art to render supernatural experiences because he experiences the world as so disenchanted. Yeah. You know, 
Um, but uh, yeah, um, there's there's something else. I, I I'm I'm glad you agree with me that that the modernists were were uh, swinging for immortality because I'm not sure if I can back that claim up. But but you know if you think about like the wasteland, I mean like it's written in this in this epic tradition. Like it's it's um, and then you mentioned tradition in the individual talent. I I agree. Um, uh, so, so something that really um, uh, fascinated me when I first started studying these writers is how much they theorized their uh, technique. Mm. There's so much correspondence. Like the people who are Lovecraft fans and Howard fans, um, they spend a lot of their money on these collectible editions of their letters, mm. and, and they they wrote to each other, um, you know, uh, so much. And a lot of their work was was talking about other weird writers, talking about the tradition of um, weird fiction. Uh, talking about technique, you would think like a pulp writer wouldn't give much thought to um, uh, theorizing their work and their their uh, um, their style. They 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 took what they were doing really serious. It, it, it's just such a disconnect because you think, oh, I'm just writing for for um, you know uh, commercial um, gain, uh, and so I'm not going to think too deeply about art. Not true. They actually, you know, if you look at their letters, they they um. Well, a lot of it was uh, um, philosophical debates too. There's a, a two-volume uh, collection of Lovecraft and Howard's um, correspondence. Um, it's called a, a Means to Freedom. It's it's one of the most interesting um, collections of uh, uh, letters I've read. It's you know H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, this patrician aristocrat who you know celebrates civilization and culture, versus Robert E. Howard, this Texan um, you know frontiersman who is uh, <laughs> um, refuting Lovecraft's view. But um, anyhow. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, to go on, when you think of someone like Faulkner, who was asked at one point, and this is maybe just sort of a, a an anecdote that may may or may not have happened, but someone asked him, um, what do you say to people who find it difficult to understand uh, your writing after reading it? And, and he says, after reading it two or three times, and, and Faulkner's response says, well, read it three or four times, right? And so, yeah, <laughs> you have this idea, there is sort of an egotism uh, to, yeah. the, to the high modernists that doesn't seem to be there. But then when you talk about the 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 craft that goes into what is taken as unserious art um, as opposed to serious art. We have a corollary today right now when people are talking about like Marvel movies and whether they are quote cinema or not. Right. And, and so uh-huh. that, it's an inter- I think this is sort of a perpetual Ooh. debate and, and, and you kind of honed in on a very particular moment when this is happening at a very particularly interesting literary moment in, in history. Yeah. And so I think that that's, uh, that's one of the strengths and really interesting features of this book. Um, and so let me uh, kind of, uh, you're gonna have to define a few terms here for me. Okay. So use an interesting term here um, called pulp ekphrastic. Um, about and so when I think of that, I think of sort of like the poem "Ode on a Grecian Urn" uh, or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Can you sort of talk about that term and what you're doing with it as a way to describe um, pulp fiction? Yeah. Um, well, it's actually uh, it's it's like a, um, a modification of another term that I'm using in in uh, my second chapter, which is modernist. Uh, uh, ekphrasis mm-hmm. and um, identify there, there are a lot of people in the um, uh, uh, 10s and 20s are coming to terms with uh, modernism and they're um, trying to like their critical engagement with modernism is taking these really um, interesting forms you know it's not the same as like maybe Matthew Arnold who I know you're really um, you know interested in, in, in Matthew I like, Arnold I like that it's guy not, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not the same as like this is um, uh, kind of a convention. I shouldn't just call it conventional. Um, 
what what we, the, the kind of claims that a critic uh, we would expect a critic to make about a work of art that with with I think modernist um, uh, criticism, uh, contemporary modernist criticism, there's always this like moment of shock and first principle orientation mm. where they actually have to describe what they're seeing first. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like we know what we're seeing. Now we're going to talk about like what it means, right? With with um modernism, you have this um. But I use the term ekphrasis because they end up trying to describe what they see first before they start um, kind of uh, reflecting on what it means. Yeah, and, and the, one way that I've always understood – I hate to interrupt you. I, oh, no, please. Um, one way that I've always understood the difference between like modernism and postmodernism is that modernism is – generally more interested in the epistemological, like the, the nature okay. of how we perceive knowledge, whereas okay. postmodernism is more into like what is the nature of a world, right? And so it's yeah. less interested in epistemological questions and more in ontological questions. And so that yeah. perfectly is consistent when you're describing what modernists do in describing mm -hmm. what they're seeing, right? Yeah, So, but go right yeah. ahead. But um, so a, a figure I spent some time on in uh, that, that chapter I'm talking where I'm setting up this idea of public phrases is um, uh, um, Benjamin mm -hmm. is um interpretation of Klee's, uh New Angel. Um, you know we, we call it the Angel of History now, and he's describing Klee's painting. And I mean, I, I say that's ekphrasis. He's he's not just saying you know this is what it. Uh, I'm, I'm giving you a description of its of its formal characteristics, and I'm I'm you know, judging it if it's good or bad. He's he's um he's basically what I say is he's translating one work of art into another kind of art, mm. and I think the description of the new angel is it's not just critical interpretation. His description is is something else. It's it's mysticism. It's I'm not sure what you would call that kind of discourse um, that that he ends up producing. It's compelling, and we still talk about it. So there's something there. Yeah. But um, that's why I, use, if, I also talk about um, um Ortega y Gasset. Um, Jose Ortega y Gasset, and he, he wrote an essay called uh, The Dehumanization of Art. Are, are, you, are you familiar with that one? I am not, actually, just from, yeah. Yeah, from your book, but yeah. Um, so the, uh, he, he starts off as this, and I want to understand the new art, and he ends up making these wild claims about, about what it means. And I think this essay, like, um, it's, it's engaging art in a different way. It's, they're actually both um, Benjamin and um, Jose uh, Ortega y Gasset. Are, are, I think they're using art as a as a prosthesis to try to understand um, their historical moment, mm. their modernity. And I, I have some, uh, you know, I have a, a look at a philosopher, Berenice Abbott, and, and the, the idea is like there there are these kind of they're critics, they're artists, they're um, whoever is interested in trying to understand their their current situation, they're using art as a as a as a, as a cognitive prosthetic device to understand modernity, and. Um, I, I say that um, you know the reason why I go from modernist ekphrasis to pulp ekphrasis is because um, Lovecraft, Howard, and Smith, like part of the way they understand themselves as being not being kind of marginalized artists, like they they are they fully identify as pulp writers. You know, mm -hmm. they they know that they're not going to be um, accepted by the artistic uh, 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 institutions. So they have this outsider perspective on the high art, and so what's, when I say pulpit crisis, I mean it's the it's the position of a of a low 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 artist looking at the high 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 art, and and their work is actually um, I think ekphrastic uh, descriptions 
uh, fictionalizations of modernism. So I have it right here. I, I know your um, listeners can't see this, but the famous uh, Cthulhu uh, statue. Yeah. It's described as um, you know a shocking sculpture. It's dragon, octopus, um, uh, humanoid. Like it's just alien. It's absolutely alien. It's very difficult to um, uh, um, you know explain. Um, I talk about this as a kind of work of modern start. You know, it's a fictional. It's a, I use the term shadow modernist, um, meaning it's like. Um, if a shadow is cast on the wall, you think it's a monster, but really, because you, it, it, all, you don't know the, the, the source of whatever the, the shadow is being cast. A lot of the work that, a lot of the modernist work that is fictionalized in these writers' um, uh, stories uh, are, are distortions, really compelling distortions of, of, uh, of modernist art. In the same way that I think um, Benjamin's description of uh, Paul Klee's painting, The New Angel, is a compelling distortion of that painting. You know, yeah. There, no. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, honestly, I have two uh, quick like uh, responses to that. One yeah. is I'm in the middle of teaching my uh, Philip Roth class, and, and we're right in the middle of teaching American Pastoral right now. Oh. And, and kind of that is what the narrator of that book, Nathan Zuckerman, is doing. He's basically taking the bare facts of this man who he went to high school with, his life, uh, Swede Levov, um, who had these series of tragedies, and he creates a story out of describing those bare facts um, as a way to understand like the historical moment that Swede grew up in, right, and, and, and was traumatized by. And so um, I think that that's a very... Um, classical literary technique, uh, right? And, and it's interesting that you're identifying the way that um, supposedly low art, um, you know, pulp writers are doing the same thing that high culture writers are doing, right? And so I think yeah. that's a that's very good. Um, and also, um, the you, I know you write about Pickman's model by um, uh, uh-huh. uh, by Lovecraft, which is one of these stories that we talked about on the Pulp Fiction uh, or the Weird Fiction. Yeah, yeah, I, and I of, I always very often assign that for students to write about um, or uh-huh. to read because I, th- I think it's just a fantastic story um, uh-huh. in not the in in the evaluative sense, not just that it's about the fantastic. <laughs> it's a really yeah. good story, is what I mean. Yeah. Um, and uh, but that's kind of what goes on in there. We have um, uh, Thurber uh, describing the paintings, right, and creating mm-hmm. so the art itself that Lovecraft is presenting us is art that is crafted out of description of other art right and, and mm-hmm. so and and i think that's kind of what you're getting at um if you're willing to go back and listen to that episode you get some more context on that story yeah oh my god um we, we haven't talked about uh modernity and um the one of the um the victory conditions of the modern artist uh, is to express the modern moment mm-hmm. um, and I think in Pickman's model, um, if you remember that story, um, Pickman does studies of colonial um, America, and he's showing the witches and the um, and the um, uh, Puritans and and all these beasts that were um, prowling about in the forest. And then there's a continuum, right, from the colonial um, period where monsters ran amok to he, what the the climax of the story is where the uh, protagonist looks at Pickman's modern studies, right? And he sees there are monsters, what are they, um, kind of, uh, they're like uh, ghouls eating human flesh. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, they're part of the modern world. And so let me just, you know, that moment where 
the past is kind of um, enduring into the present, right? Um, that that I think is something that the um, the specifically the Weird Tales three are interested in, where the modernists are interested in. You know that we have the the, the futurists who are who are we need to sever our um, you know connection to the past and and move into the future and, and be and be completely or Ezra Pound make it new make it new make it new. Mm-hmm. I think the the, um, the uh, pulp exorcists um, they their their work tends to remind the modernist in their description of modern art they remind the modernist that um, the past is not past right. Actually, I hope I can remember the quote that. Uh, which is dead, cannot eternal lie, um, and with strange eons, even death will die. Um, there's this idea that like the past won't. There, there is no such thing as the past. There's just um, the building up of events. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. Uh, there, I mean, I, um, I I talk about it in my book as a as a. Um, uh, it's an ideological thing. They they're they're ultra conservative. Like they're su- they're reactionary even. Yeah. Um, they are um, concerned about the um, dissolution of of um, uh, the ordinary. Yeah. Uh, and and so any, any, anyhow. Uh, well, but and, it's but also I, I mean that doesn't make I I don't so Ezra Pound was a fascist though right and so yeah, yeah, even though yeah. make it new can also end up in fascism <laughs> right and yeah. so um and so no so there's that and 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 you're right I think that I, one thing one of my next questions actually is a good transition is that there's sort of an interesting tension between the pulps and and sort of high modernist writers right so it's it's definitely mm-hmm. you like to I mean I remember back in grad school you always wanted to consider you argued that this was a kind of modernism it was a modernism yeah. Yeah. Right, uh, and yeah. and I think you're still making that argument today, right? And, yeah. and I think, but it's not. It, it is a distinct form of it, right? And I think you've just pointed out one way in which that is true. Whereas modernism was all about the disjuncture of the present from the past, right? With one yeah. exception, um, I can think of like William Faulkner's fiction as like a, an example of a modernist writer. And doesn't he say in the South, the past isn't dead it's not even past or something like that right yeah, yeah. And, and so um there's you know he's a, a significant exception where the the past continues to hold sway over the present yeah. right but in general there is this like seeking um a complete break with the past uh to create something new as you said and so mm-hmm. and, and i think you're totally right when you see the way in which these stories, I mean, that's what makes them ghost stories, is that something is haunting them, right? And so haunted, uh-huh. they're haunted by something from the past. And, and so that do, there is something inherently old-fashioned and, and, uh, and, and, you know, reactionary about them in that way. So They, I, um, I, the, uh, one of the arguments I, I make is that um, their, their work is a, is a hybrid of, mm. um, um, realism, literary realism, and this um, virtual form of of a modernist aesthetics. Like that's a big generalization. Like what is modernist aesthetics? Well, it's not representational. And so a lot of their uh, fiction fiction has the sutures showing between like um, you establish a reality principle in the in the world, and then you dramatize the dissolution of reality. I I use the analogy of the of the sand mandala, right? So they they kind of a, a, a typical love, Lovecraft story is um, you you um, establish this really uh, firm kind of uh, concrete, vivid world. You know, it, it tends to be very profane, like Red Hook, mm-hmm. uh, the painting of the Sand Mandala, and then you have this 
crazy thing that happens near the end, where like you just shout it, you know, you you destroy the mandala, um, and um, but but uh, I, I I see that I I read that as um, and, and it's horrible, right? The dissolution of form is is horrible. It you and they're and, and and they're not for that, right? So for them, I talk about the modernist work of art is the token of of, of like of a uh, of, of of hopelessness, like the fact that you know n nothing will stay the same, that like ev everything that we think is ordinary is going to pass away into some sort of universal strange situation. Like um they they uh the, for Lovecraft um I think personally like the I don't know if, uh, how much I should go into his biography, but like he loved colonial architecture. He loved the 18th century. He would. His dictionary was was um I forget the year but he used a really old fashioned dictionary and insisted on um, old you know so like there's this there's this um kind of ho hopeless attempt to um make the um the ordinary endure yeah and so they see modernism which is a shattering of, of the of the order as a, as a, as threatening you know um like uh what would be a good analogy like um if the past so there's a there's an eye of the storm, right? The 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 past is strange and alien. The future is strange and alien. What they want to do is maintain, reinforce the eye of the storm. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's that's um, and it, it's it, it's it's politically suspect, I think, because that word order connects order, the ordinary, uh, can refer to like the political order, right? Like like they they um, a lot of them. I mean, like Howard and Lovecraft spent really, um. Too much time talking about race and eugenics and how the Anglo-Saxon was being replaced by the um, the uh, you know who uh, it wasn't just um, I mean it was anyone it wasn't just who if 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 you were not um, a front for Howard if you weren't from the old frontier or if you're Lovecraft and you weren't from uh, you know New England and you multi-generational New Englander then then um, you were intruding upon you know the uh, in, in, anyhow. Yeah, yeah, they would have been all about building the wall, right? Um, and exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah. make New England yeah. great again. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, go ahead. And uh, like, um, uh, like the um, uh, Ozymandias poem. Uh huh. Uh, is that? That's not Lord Byron. That's uh, Shelley. Shelley. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I I should have another cup of coffee. Yeah, I realized. <laughs> that. Um, like they they um. They want the uh, the statue to, to to endure. You know that's that's their great tragedy, and it's and it's modernist art that is actually bringing, or, or like modernity that's bringing about that that destruction of the um the works. You know. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, there there is definitely in modernism a kind of um, oh gosh tension with change, but um, this form of modernism uh, definitely has a much more kind of. Um, backward-looking um, reaction to that tension, right? Then, then the idea of uh, just breaking everything into fat fragments and making it new. Um, yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so let me get to the kind of form of your book here and let you talk a little bit about uh, in some specifics. You've chosen to do kind of an in-depth study of a few writers. You call them, like you said, the Weird Tales 3, um, rather than just some sort of macro survey view, right? Um, mm -hmm. Why is it, what? What what's the benefit of that, or what what, what behind that decision? I guess. Um, well, uh, I have a foot in fandom and in academic literary criticism, and in fandom, uh, they tend to be uh, and actually like um, Lovecraft, Howard, and uh, 
uh, Clark Ashton Smith fandom is very sophisticated. It's I don't even want to say it's quasi-academic. It's academic. It's just institutionalized in a different way. Like they have presses, they have conventions, they have you know the Necronomicon. <laughs> I love yes. that name. Is like thousands of people attend. So I don't want to like um, what's the word? Um, uh, be patronizing and say they're non-academic. Like yeah. they, um, there's this one uh, scholar named Bobby Deary, and he, he, uh, I, it's not even appropriate to say he does it as a sideline. His career is not, his main career is not. Uh, to be a scholar, but he writes these um, these these these. Uh, he's written two monographs on one on Lovecraft and one on um, on Howard, and they're just they're they're excellent. They're intimidating, to be completely mm -hmm. honest. How much he knows about these things. Um, but um, uh, the reason why I wanted to so th this all goes back to why did I approach them as the Weird Tales three? Well, one thing that I will criticize fandom about. And, and I, I, you know, um, and, and they should take this criticism is that, and, and maybe one of the reasons why they're frustrated with academic um, treatment of of uh, um, you know popular writers is that you know we use theory, right? They don't use theory, and so they ha still are part of this um, kind of cult of the author, cult of the personality. So they approach um, Howard as kind of a you know an author uh, as, as as an isolated uh, you know artistic. Um, genius and so Lovecraft is separate and Clark Ashton Smith is separate and I think when you study people like Foucault for example where you can say something like a magazine community is the authorial agent right that that that's a really compelling idea that I think they you know maybe fans because you know, they haven't had graduate seminars reading Foucault like you know um, they they can't think in those terms well, well long story short by approaching the um, the, uh, the three writers in this way as a unit um, I was trying to kind of showcase how uh, they're in conversation. You can't really understand these writers. Um, well, you can't understand them separately, but some really compelling things start to happen when you see them as like a um, as 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 a as a unified discursive community. Okay. Um, does that make sense? So it, like yeah yeah. You know, the Robert Howard fans, the Lovecraft fans, and the Smith fans, they go to the same conventions and they go to the same um, panels and everything, but they never think to themselves about about the. I shouldn't say they never do. But I think the, um, the the way we in the academy are able to um, you know deploy different models of authorship doesn't uh, doesn't kind of it's not something they're thinking about. Right? And, and it's interesting to me. It sounds in some ways you're like kind of like uh, splitting the difference between um, academia and just sort of um, fandom appreciation, right? Um, yeah. Like and so. And honestly, I think that's another reason. Maybe that's why I was just drawn to your book because kind of what I feel like the show is about as well, right? I, I think there is a, a tedium to the an appendentry to uh, academia that I've less and less patience for as I get older. Um, but yeah. but also uh, there is some value in those kinds of um, scholarly approaches. And it seems to me that you're the audience, you kind of have both audiences in mind uh, when writing mm -hmm. this book, right? And so you've got just enough of the um, the close attention to the single author that the, the fan will have uh, an interest in reading, but you're also um, giving it some context that, that mm -hmm. sat both satisfy, that satisfies the academic, but also I think gives the fans some new tools to understand what they're reading. Um, maybe I'm putting yeah. words in your mouth there. Oh, no, no, no. The, these three writers were doing something together, and a lot of their themes can only be um, like the, the the radical nature of what they were doing with modernism, like using modernism as a as a, as a literary theme and.
to understand their their place in history like that I think you need someone like um like a uh what um first off you need Adorno and Horkheimer to to um to uh, show how their uh um their their work was um for like for example Weird Tales was a was a weird pulp right it 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 was not very commercially viable there's a there's a there's a book that that that, that came out um, by this um, pulp scholar named John Locke and he looks at the first year and a half maybe two years of of Weird Tales and as a business enterprise, it failed. What's interesting, I shouldn't say it failed, it, 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 it made it, but it almost failed. What's interesting about that is that pulp magazines were first and foremost business enterprises. No one got into pulp publishing for art's sake. Like, that wasn't it. But so you have this magazine that's like, um, it's, 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 it's just about to fail. I think that's so compelling because it doesn't reproduce the ordinary. It doesn't reproduce the society that, like, the dominant... Um, uh, kind of ec- economic um, system is wanting them to do. It's actually, you know, you know um, uh, any, anyhow, um, maybe, maybe I'm getting off uh, on, on on a tangent, but um, you need you need Adorno and Horkheimer, you need Foucault, you need, and uh, so so sometimes when I read academic writing, I want to hear more about the work itself rather than the theory. But and then, but sometimes when I read fan writing, fan, fans will some will sometimes um, um, go down to these. Um, Rabbit holes that, um, for me, I sometimes lose patience with, like um, really going into the um, details of a biography. Yeah, yeah, an authorial intent and that that sort of thing, right? Which yeah is limiting in its own way, right? And so yeah, no, that that's uh, you're you're totally right about that. And I just find it with there's something about the this body of work that is always. I mean, I guess this is the way it was designed. It, it's sort of on the margins between um, what's acceptable and what's not even to this day. I know there was a lot of controversy when Library of America um, anthologized H.P. Lovecraft, right? And, and I think that that was, uh, people thought that that was an undeserved canonization uh, for something that wasn't truly literary. And and so th- these are people who are sort of on the borders between these divisions that we've concocted for ourselves about the difference between high and low art. Do you know about the World Fantasy Award controversy? No. There was a uh, the World Fantasy Award um, was a bust of Lovecraft's head, and um, uh, a, a woman of color, uh, Nanetti Akorafor, um, she's a she's a fantasist. Um, she got the uh, World Fantasy Award, and she she wrote a blog post about um, Lovecraft's racism, and maybe we should uh, you know rethink this this um, uh, award and. It was just such a compelling debate about why is Lovecraft's head of the the award and what you know, we should sh- should we or should we not um, change it? I mean, they changed it. I I'm uh, I'm getting people mad at me when I say this, but I'm glad they they changed it. I, I didn't see, you know, I, it makes sense why they did. I mean, but that's in the past. Um, but um. Oh, but uh, the past is never just past, as we've just yeah, yeah, that was that. that <laughs> I'm sorry. Can, can you bear some clicking real quick? Sure. Opening of. Okay, it's that is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. <laughs> that is not dead, which can eternal lie. Um, it's from the Nameless City. It's it's a it's a quote from the Necronomicon, which is not a real book. Um, but that which is dead can uh, that. Is not dead, which can eternal uh, lie. And uh, I think, from Lovecraft's perspective, like nothing 
is dead because it, it, it it's all still with us. You know, he's a, he's a materialist, and um, you know, it might not be animate, but it's still with us. Yeah, um, it might not be conscious, but it's still it, it whatever has happened. I mean, and that that um uh, parallels a lot of uh um you know uh like uh yeah, the, um, I don't want to use well Marxist theory. You know, like it's like uh, we. Um, Anyhow, that's um, not a dirty word on this show. It's okay. okay no, they're, they're, they're used to me. You know, they, they know my shtick at this point. I don't want to so. take, take, like, I'm not. <laughs> it's okay. I was like, I the, when I start talking about Marxists, uh, I'm like, I'm not a Marxist. I don't have a red flag and all that stuff. But I just, I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to talk about Marxism without people thinking I'm a, I'm a revolutionary. <laughs> that's because you teach it the, the, for the elites, right? I'm down here in the, with the proletariat, these first generation uh, uh, mid central Pennsylvanians, they get it down here. So that's okay. okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I should probably no. edit all this out. I don't even know, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's real quickly then um, just kind of like spend a couple minutes talking about each author's contribution to your overall kind of study. So what is Clark Ashton Smith? Um, what, wh- why is he interesting to this study? Clark Ashton Smith is interesting because he was very close to being a modernist. Um, the first issue of Poetry Magazine, um, he's in it. Harriet Monroe's Poetry Magazine, he's in it, along with Yeats and I believe um, – I think Ezra Pound publishes a book review. Mm. So um, a lot of people will use periodical culture to determine who's modernist, who's not. If you're published in a little magazine, you're modernist. If, if you publish in like um, like a mainstream magazine, you know, like um, you you were you were you were like a middle brow writer. Yeah. Well, uh, Clark Ashton Smith published poetry in, in Poetry Magazine with with these modern. So he fell out of fashion. Um, he very quickly Harriet Monroe started rejecting his poetry, and he. Um, so I guess the reason why, um, and when he finally started writing Pulp Fiction, um, this was uh, about 20 years after he was writing what we would call modernist poetry, writing with, I mean, pop, you know, working in the orbit of these of these modernists. Um, so he he basically is a failed modernist. I actually have a chapter in my book called "The Failure of Clark Ashton Smith," and a lot of people who like love Clark Ashton Smith are like, I don't like that name and it's because uh, you know it's ironic it's like I think it's a glorious failure I think because he 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 failed as a modernist he succeeded as a pulp modernist you know so yeah the, oh that's very interesting then so, so he's yeah. sort of a transition he's he's sort of a person at that border that um, that you're yeah. talking about very clearly um, yeah. and in many ways I mean he kind of I mean not to I mean I guess I'm showing the limits of my own kind of knowledge here by keep going back to the same references but um Pickman is, is sort of a, a corollary figure. He's someone who's both a part of the kind of art scene in Boston, but also um, who's exiled from it. And, and so, uh, I, and I wonder he gets if thrown out of the Providence Art Club for being too unconventional. Yeah, and that's very much what happens to Clark Ashton Smith. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. So that that makes a very excellent formal sense. Um, mm-hmm. What about Robert E. Howard? Robert E. Howard is, um, see, like, uh, he's, it, it, it's hard for me because of all three writers, the one that I'm kind of, like, part of the, um, the, the cult of the auteur, like, yeah. Robert E. Howard is, like, uh, the, the one who I feel, like, personally invested in um, the most. Um, uh, 
he's he's um he's really interesting well you co-edit the journal right well yeah exactly that yeah i should say that, yeah, we, the, we, the dark we, man journal of robert howard the, uh, the yeah. dark man right yeah that that's a, yeah. one of your uh gigs so yeah go ahead well i guess i identify with him because i come from like my dad's a house painter and um he, he didn't go to college and my mom is a um you know she didn't graduate from high school um robert howard was he was living in this oil boom town in the middle of nowhere, Texas, um, they didn't have a public library. It was just completely like an intellectual wasteland. And he decided that he wanted to be a writer, like a, you know, and um, an artist. And like for when you know publishing in Weird Tales, like a lot of people, um, you know, like he's a he's a fantasy writer and he's he's not a literary figure. I, um, for him, where he was, like the um, what's the you know like. He, the seed that was Robert E. Howard fell in the bad soil for art to yeah. flourish, but still, like through like tenacity, he like was able to 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 create this uh, amazing work of work of art, and and the work of art that he creates thematizes this kind of distance from the intellectual. I mean, the, what's the what's the standard trope of sword and sorcery fiction? It's this like naked barbarian fighting this um, sorcerer who has this eldritch and you know occult knowledge. You know, I I say like. That right there is like a um, an, uh, kind of an allegory of high and low, right? Conan the Barbarian, um, I'll use the movie because a lot of people are familiar with the movie. Conan the Barbarian beheading Thalsa Doom, the sorcerer at the top of the ziggurat, is, is about the confrontation between um, kind of the rural and the um, and the the rural low culture and the urban high culture. It's just, it's just very, very... Um, so I find them interesting and I... And, he he has them, and believe it or not, even though he lived in nowhere, Texas, I love cross planets. It's not nowhere, but that's the way a lot of people will think of it. Um, he had he had opinion. He knew about modern art. He had an opinion about modern art. He um, he, he he wrote poetry. I mean, it's 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 it's, a, it's pretty fascinating, you know. Now, and he's interesting too, uh, in in terms of contemporary conversations. We have this sort of like coastal elitism, um, mm-hmm. particularly. I mean, so any kind of sort of middle brow, like liberal publication, like Vox or Daily Beast or something like that. The yeah. the TV shows that they cover are like critical darlings, right? And so they'll, it'll be um, whatever Amazon series uh, is dealing with the hot issues at the time, Fleabag or something like that. Yeah. Um, when the vast majority of the people between those centers are watching NCIS, right? Um, okay. Many, many more people watch that stuff than watch the – the, the art, right? That, that's what yeah. we're supposed to be watching. And so um, Robert E. Howard is kind of like that, that flyover state artist, right? Who's sort of left behind by the conversation um, in a lot of ways. And, but he, I mean, has this sort of nasty reaction to that. I mean, in his fiction, he, I mean, yeah, yeah. the, what would you expect to grow out of, <laughs> out of that soil? Yeah. As you, as the metaphor you used was beautiful, um, but yeah. something like Conan the Barbarian, right? Yeah. Well, I should say like, um, I am. Um, do, do you know the writer Victor uh, Lavelle? Uh, I've heard the name. I can't place it though. The name he, is familiar. He wrote. Um, uh, he he's a, a, um, a person of color. Um, he, he 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 emphatically doesn't like to be called an African American writer. So it's always hard for me. But yeah. but like it, it's it's relevant because he wrote um, a revision of a Lovecraft story called The Ballad of Black Tom, which is an, amazing. It actually. Um, and and uh, the the horror Red Hook. There's this cult of 
basically it's a cult of people of color and they're worshiping devils. Well, he rewrites this. Um, this was published in like 2016 or 17. I recommend it, but it's from the perspective of the of the of the cultist, right? You know, and oh, interesting. But, uh, at the beginning of his novel, it says to H.P. Lovecraft with all of my mixed feelings. <laughs> and I feel like that's how I feel about like um, I love that phrase. That's how I feel about these writers because like a lot of times like they're writing about difference and like. Um, otherness but they don't know anything like they, they have no idea what they're talking about they're like lovecraft like was anti-semitic in, in in writing but his wife was jewish yeah you know um his one of his best friends samuel loveman was jewish you know and he would talk to them about his anti-semitism and they're you know and they, they would try to point out these inconsistencies to him and 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 he um but uh you know long story short like being on the margins like can kind of produce some like um crazy discourse, you know, um, being uninitiated can produce some cr crazy discourse, but it's like, I, I, I don't know what I'm, where, where, I'm, where I'm trying to go with this. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to connect it to something, but I, I, um, what were we talking about? You, you like well, the, the flyover artists. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's appropriate for us to fly over that territory just because, um, maybe culturally that um, we, we don't like. I I, I could uh, too too many people will will, will pick up um, Robert E. Howard and like if they'll see like um, kind of a, a sexist representation of women, they'll say, I'm not reading this anymore. This is this is this is horrible. Um, I, I think that that sort of this, this dismissal could be paralleled and maybe look at 2016. A lot of the rhetoric was like, you know, the Midwest has been like forgotten and forsaken, and they have legitimate complaints, and that's why we have Trump. Like I think that sort of Cult relationship to pop fiction that maybe some um, kind of literary uh, elites have is is parallel to that relationship that maybe the the um, elites have to you know the 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 flyover regions I guess yeah yeah it. to the to these sense. yeah to these popular writers these uh, yeah. like popular in the uh, in the big C sense right yeah and I'm not excusing in any way or defending in any way the despicable. You know, views that they they allowed to fester, maybe even cultivated as they started circulating um, their views with each other through correspondence. Yeah, um, it, we, it, it's complicated. One would wonder what they would have done with 4chan, right? I mean, it, it's sort oh of. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, in in some ways, what goes on with Pepe the Frog and all that? I mean, it, it it's sort of a modern version of these uh, insular sort of echo chambers that they're a part That's of. That's what right? it is. Yeah, and, and so yeah, there's no. Yeah, I I can't help but see some of like Ben Shapiro and all these people in in in, in these figures, right? Um, have Have you um read The Outsider by Lovecraft? I'm sorry if I'm going off off a uh, no, it's off. good. No, no, it's good. Actually, we're going to talk about Lovecraft next, so this is a good chance to do that. Go ahead. The Outsider is uh, such a compelling um, story. Um, spoiler: um, <laughs> the um, this guy wakes up. And he's in an underground dark place, and he climbs out, and he goes. He sees a house, and he goes to the house, and there are people inside the house, and they see him, and they start screaming and running away. And um, he's running after them, like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" You know, um, trying to find out. You know, he's disturbed and afraid himself because obviously they're running for something. And he turns and he sees a monster, and he screams, and then he reaches out and he touches, and it's a mirror. You know. I feel like that's like just with um with a uh, so let me let me connect that to the horror red hook and the horror red hook there is this 
conspiracy. There's this kind of insular conspiracy cult where you know people are like kind of um, doing horrible things. You know, I, I feel like maybe there's something going on with the Weird Tales Circle and their correspondence is very similar to that. Like in the same sort of like recognition through fiction. Like I, I don't um, know if I'm making any sense, but. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, right? Um, no, you are making sense. So, yeah, you have this um, sense in which um, they are kind of reinforcing negative uh, attitudes, right? That get re that get kind of codified in the genre itself because of the the, the tightness of that group, right? I mean, in, in the same way that um, modernism was a tight elite circle, right? This is a tight circle, but just, um, of the marginalized, right. Um, of the marginalized writers. Um, so what does, what, how is Lovecraft, what does he add to this, uh, this sort of matrix of interests that you see in, uh, the other two in Smith and, and Howard? Lovecraft is a, uh, he's a, he's a very serious artist. He, um, has, um, kind of, um, like he, um, what 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 he sees as um, kind of grotesque or like ugly um, or disenchanted, right? Like he experiences it acutely. Like like this is someone who is using their art to respond to problems that they see. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like um, like it's uh, one way of seeing Lovecraft is oh he's just this guy writing these silly scary stories. No, like the stakes for him and his writing were so high, like. Like um, he he uh, uh, kind of wrote his life, you know. He there there was he said this about it, um, Robert E. Howard, but like he he basically was dealing with um, his own um, uh, you know uh, the the things that were haunting him came out in his um, so, somebody who reviewed my book put it his fears are on display in his fiction yeah and totally like they are like he's working through his 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 fears in his fiction. Um, and I, I think one of the things that really scared him was was change, change. Um, he he was if if you look at um, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, there's um, the uh, Providence River bisects it. Uh, on the east is College Hill. Uh, it's Colonial on um, Providence. Um, it's where Brown University is, or uh, uh, Miskatonic University, whichever one you want to use. Yeah. It's College Hill is beautiful. It's like the past. It's idyllic, you know. And then across the Providence River is um, downtown modern architecture. That's where the immigrant enclaves would be. That's where progress was happening. And and so he was basically on the College Hill side, looking across the river and seeing like the future. And it just it it I don't know if I should use the word traumatized, but it was it, it terrified him. And and his art is like kind of in as much as he can. It's like a um. Uh, it's a, a a moan of fear. It's like like oh my gosh, change is happening, and I and I and I don't. I want to arrest change, you know. And and it's weird. He doesn't use his fiction to arrest change. He's not like writing historical fiction to escape into the past. His fiction is is, a, is it's 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 confronting the inevitability of modernity, the ephemerality of the ordinary, but. And it, but it's kind of it's showing how horrible it is. I think we can all relate to that too. I mean, to some extent. I mean, I, I'm I'm a nostalgic sometimes, right? But <laughs> like an extreme nostalgia. I don't know if nostalgia is even the right word. Like like in a, lamenting that the past is uh, the, lamenting that um, the world is changing and there was and there's no return to um, his 
he had a really uh, I, I think he had a really wonderful childhood. Uh, he had a, but maybe the first five years of his life were just like wonderful, and that kind of his the rest of his um, life was like um, kind of lamenting the loss of that that, that idyllic experience. Yeah, uh, no, that's no, not my argument. That's some, 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 some other. I, I can't think of who, who made it. But. Yeah, yeah, no, and so yeah, for him, you kind of get a, a very kind of clear sense of the ideological concerns of this group, right? Uh, and and yeah. I think that that's sort of what he contributes to this um, o- sort of overall study. Um, yeah, I really, um, Jason, we're kind of heading up on an hour here, and, and I really did. Yeah. I just want to say I really enjoyed uh, the the book, first of all, and it's always nice to catch up with you again. Um, oh, cool. and, and, and the conversation was great. Are there any other uh, kind of closing thoughts that you want to kind of share with everybody and, and maybe let us know how, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how they can do that and where they can get the book? Do um, we yeah, the, the the books on 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 Amazon um, uh, for the academics who are listening. Uh, the uh, Popular Culture Association has a pulp studies section, uh, and um, the 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 deadline for submitting a paper is um, fast approaching. It's uh, November first, but um, it, you know um, maybe it'll be past that date. When yeah, this yeah, this will come out after that. Sorry, <laughs> maybe next year. Um, there's the we have a, a journal, the Dark Man Journal of Robert E. Howard and Pulp Studies, and you don't just have to write about Robert E. Howard or Lovecraft or Smith. I mean, we're 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 trying to broaden the scope to um, encompass pulp uh, fiction uh, in general, and um, so uh, you can you can find our webpage um, or we have a Facebook page as well. You can uh, like, uh, you know, we're, we're publishing uh, academic journals that treat that. Um, that's about it. Yeah, I'll try to put some. Great, thank you. I'll try to put some links up there to uh, to the what those uh, websites that you or the to the journal and, and the Facebook page and all that. Um, yeah. The uh, and so yeah, I will actually. Are you going to be at the PCA this year in uh, in Philadelphia? Yeah. yeah, I'll be yeah. there too. A colleague of mine and I are going to be presenting on uh, the kind of uh, love affair with serial killers. Uh, a colleague oh, of mine from criminology and I, uh, Dr. Mansley, who was on the show before, actually talking about uh, working with prisons and uh, and so yeah. We're going to uh, we're going to be presenting something about popular culture and, and serial killers and that sort of thing. So, so that's really that's so relevant. Yeah, yeah. So I'll see you there, um, Jason. This was awesome. It was great to reconnect with you, and this was a great, great conversation. A wonderful book. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and I really do think that folks who are interested in the kind of stuff that we talk about on this show, where you know, we kind of famously jump between. Uh, if you can imagine a chart with high culture, low culture, religion, and politics, uh, we sort of jump between those four oh, quadrants awesome. all the time. And this, uh, I think we can get it almost uh, all four of those quadrants uh, with this conversation. Okay. And so I think it was a really perfect fit for what we do here. So um, thanks, Jason. And uh, anybody has any questions, you can always contact the show here. Um, we have a Gmail account. At, uh, we are sectarianreview at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. There is a website, www.sectarianreviewpodcast.com. And uh, I am on Twitter at at Danny P. Anderson. You can uh, contact me there. And the show also has a Twitter page, um, at Sectarian Review. So uh, get in touch with us uh, and let us know what you think. It's great to always hear from fans. um, And uh, and I'd love to uh, point you towards Jason's book. So for Jason Carney, my name is Danny Anderson, signing off for another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast.